0: Peace, peace, peace. I am Phillip Brown, here. You're tuned into episode 39 of Hashtag You Good Man. So in this episode, we're going to be having a conversation about autism, right? Um, in the next few weeks, I am going to be participating in an event with the Community Autism Network um, that's that's headed by my homie who's on now, Mr. Keon Mallory. And so, you know, prior to, prior to the event, I just thought it would be a... a uh, a pertinent topic for to be discussed on the podcast. So, you know, I asked them to come on so we could have a conversation about it because there's so much mis- misinformation that goes on with regards to the topic of autism. And despite me being in the mental health field, uh, despite me having had clients previously who've who've been diagnosed and lived with autism, uh, I still have questions. There's still information that I, I don't have. And that, again, that's coming from somebody within the field so you know i decided to have him on you know i i feel like sway right when sway do interviews with people like he get a bit, sway give the best introductions ever man it make you it make you feel it like dang, like sway known this ball for like the last 30 years but in reality he might uh he might know of them you know what i mean but he get the bio or what have you and then read off and just make it his own and so with that um you know, the reason why I bring Sway up is because this is the introduction. I didn't have to ask him for a bio, right? That's been one of my good friends, what now, for the last 21 years, probably, since we was probably about 14. So you're going thing, Yeah, going to high school together. Um, we went to high school together. We went to college together. You know, we've lived in the same dorms. Boys get to see, how, you know, he got to see how, you know, one side of the room, you know, was always junky. You know, that was usually my side. Um, uh, it's just somebody that I've been able to, to have, you know, real conversation with real healthy conversation with somebody who, you know, that, you know, his family treated me like family, you know, his, his mama Kim, you know, with the, the super salty, uh, jerk chicken that we all love, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, again, we, we just been through, through so much together and this one of the brothers who, I've just, you know, I appreciate having you in my life uh, as, as a part of my tribe, somebody, again, that that holds me accountable, even if I'm watching from afar, seeing the work that you're doing with regards to, to autism or whether it's a father of two young girls as a as a husband. You know, just sit and watch it from afar. We get to learn, right? I get to learn. And so, you know, with no further ado, I just want to introduce my, my, my good friend, my brother, Mr. Keon Miller.
1: Appreciate you, appreciate you for having me. I um always watch your videos and be like, man, you gotta have me on here one of these times. But um, so I finally get a chance to get on here. But no, um, thanks for the intro. Obviously, like you said, we've been knowing each other forever. Um, and in all types of environments, all types of situations <laughs> going through the yeah. years. So yeah. it's really cool to see like what you're doing. Obviously, like like you said, I'm doing a lot of different things, but what you're doing is like inspiring and, um, even when, you know, back when I was doing other different things, like just to see kind of your growth and all of that and the programs that you're putting together and the different things, whether it's physical health or mental health, I think is really cool. And that's why I always try to whenever I can promote, um, support, share whatever I can to make sure, you know, I mean, people get to see what you're doing and get um the information that you're putting out there.
0: Well, no, listen, I, I definitely appreciate it. And that's one of the things with social media, um, you, know, the, you know, the easiest thing we can do is is press the share button. I'm a firm believer in that likes are cool, right, that, you know, that's, even if I don't know how cool likes are, honestly, the more I, I really think about social media. But the share is important because the share is saying, you know what, I see what you're doing, and, you know, whoever is – I interact with, I want them to see that too. Right. So mm-hmm. that's always appreciated. And, and that's why, you know, I try to do, do the same. And mm-hmm. so, so with that being said, we just going to just hop right into it. So who, who is Keon Mallory? Mr. If people can see his name, Mr. Can.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I guess first and foremost, husband of going on nine years, almost 10 years now, uh, got two daughters, that's seven and four. I've um, been working in, you know, field just in general human services, working with um, individuals of different aspects for over 10 years, um, and specifically with autism. Um, recently, I guess our three-year anniversary um, was June 30th when CAM was founded. It became a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, but the Community Autism Network is a program that um, pushes inclusion generally speaking, it really that's that's how to push the same to kind of break down some of the stigmas um, that people kind of perceive when it comes to people who have autism and generally speaking, like being in a community just like anybody else, you know, trying to stick stay away from um, a lot of the segregated information, segregated situations that here's my daughter now. She just popped in here. <laughs> she, you gonna come back? Yeah. Can I finish? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. See you later. <laughs> all right. See she threw me off now. Um, nah, that's all good. Uh but yeah, trying to break down stigmas and more importantly, uh um provide inclusion, like real inclusion and not the oh, we're gonna have um autism night or sensory friendly night at the Sixers game, and there's nothing wrong with those type of things. I think that's still a step in the right direction, but what we do is provide – we make it inclusive for everybody, so we provide a community event like the event that we had last week. Um, We had an arts and crafts day, and that was for everybody. We want the whole family to come out there. (laughs) Corey, (laughs) take that over there. Can you go play with that with mommy and sissy? Okay. I'm gonna see you when I'm done, okay? That's
0: that's the that's listen, man, that's the joys of fatherhood, right? My daughter (sighs) right upstairs. I had to have a conversation with her, like, yo, listen, I know you playing Roblox on the laptop. I know you like to scream and and yell and excitement. We just need you to tone it down somehow. But again, it's you know, it's the beauties. I I wouldn't trade it, you know, and not to get off topic, but you know, and and not having fathers growing up, right? Even when we see moments like this, it's just like, you know, we're breaking that tradition of, that Definitely. unhealthy tradition of of not being present. So, yeah, whatever she walks in, it's just like, again, man, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Again, knowing your background, you know, knowing life you know mine, you know, when these things like this occur, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a, it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, like I was saying, I, I think... um. I mean, that's really our goal—is inclusion, full inclusion. Um, like I was saying, we had an event last week. Um, we had different people. We had different—I um, guess you could say—sections where we kind of sectioned it all. We had a whole arts and crafts event where that was open to everybody, so it was broken up. We had a slime section. We had where people we taught people how to make slime. We had a, a um, open art session where people could just kind of color and paint and do whatever mm-hmm. they want painting with a twist section um we made the little sensory water bottles we did a lot of different things but the goal in those situations is never to um have events that's specific just for people with autism like we want that to be family friendly for everyone so that people can have that opportunity to interact regardless of you know people's perceived differences yeah
0: yeah no and that and that's great that 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 happens because you know, when we talk about the importance of inclusion, right, and that's how we really start to break down the barriers. We start to break down the stigma of what autism is or, you know, what, it, what uh, different race and ethnicities, different religions, right? If we're able to come together and be able to have interactions with one another, that's how we learn. So for me, my first interaction with the with the autistic uh autistic adolescent, he was about 17, 16, 17, and went to Lower Marion High School. And so he was, I mean, at the time they would consider him Asperger's. And so, you know, going into the high school settings, seeing what those interactions with him and his peers looked like, it was particular classes that they wanted me to go into. Cause he had, you know, he his social skills were um they were lacking in a sense to where, uh, you know, students who were mainstream could truly understand, right? And then for him to understand, you know, certain things like uh, social cues, um, you know, talk about body language and what have you. And so me working with him to help him understand it. And we worked together for approximately a year. And I just saw the progress taking place uh, throughout that time with the things that we were working on. So a lot of it was, community exposure right Mm -hmm. so it was it was him going to like i would take him to the gym with me just let him work out interact with people be able to say excuse me if he had to get or ask a question he had to be prepped uh to to be comfortable in asking a question how many sets do you have left right when we're talking about a machine and so it got to a point where him not going to the gym, not being in that environment, to where he was asking, listen, can we go to the gym? Because he enjoyed being around the people. And so it was various community exposure. He ended up getting involved in karate, right? It wasn't about his skill level, but it was just more about him being comfortable being in that environment. He ended up getting a job where he was able to, you know, build that self-confidence, that self-esteem. Um, I think mm. even at the end, I think he he started to try and uh, he, he started to court somebody. And for for, for just in general, that's a difficult Good. process to navigate, you right. know. In, in our teenage years, so and and with him, you know, really trying to work on, on on these skills that we're talking about, you know, it was a lot of progress that was yeah. made. And again, that came from interacting with with not only his grandmother who kept him really locked in the house because she was concerned, as a parent mm-hmm. is, a, a parent is concerned about the well-being of their child. You don't want to see hurt or harm come their child's way, but there is an idea that you're not going to be around forever, right? right, and you want them to be able to have the skills necessary to thrive without you, and so a, a lot of that came, a lot of the real work came in working with her, mm-hmm. right, and working with her, because he was just open to whatever. He just needed the the framework and the guidance to to help him improve in that area. So, you know, when you talk about mainstream um and having all inclusive events that's so necessary when we're talking about you know, when we talk about skill set building.
1: Yeah, normal risks. I mean, at the end of the day, like how do we learn, you know, especially in high school, college, like we learn from trial and error and a lot of that is, you know, situations that a lot of individuals with autism don't get a chance to do because People are, you know, parents, caregivers, so forth, are overprotective, and I get it. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just like you said, you know, being parents, you're going to be protect your kids. I think what happens is over time, you know, your kids get to a point where they start to rebel and pull away. Um, the kids on the spectrum don't see that, don't know that that they that's something that they can do. And typically, when you talk about typical kids you know, they start to do that and parents start to, you know, let that leash go a little bit more, a little bit more to the point where you start to see more independence. Kids on the spectrum, if they don't have those outlets, they don't have friends, they don't they can't see other people doing those things. So then they, they kinda just stick in the house and they stick around. They you know they family member and caregiver, um, because of those reasons and slowly but surely that becomes their norm and that becomes their comfort zone and they don't get um, the opportunity to be, um, to explore and try different things if they'll, and, you know, get back up and try it again. And I think that's part of, you know, our goal is to try to push for that. And when I'm talking to, you know, families, that's a lot of what I'm communicating to them is to give them a chance. I mean, obviously, depending on where their skill level is with communication or socialization, you know, you want to try to set them up for success in the beginning so that they want to continue to keep doing it. But um, after a while, you kind of got to take the training wheels off and let them, let them try it. Um, Let them try it in a safe way. Obviously Um, we're not setting people up for failure, but one, let them try it in a safe way. And once they do that, then you start to open up similar to the young man that you were just talking about. Um, I'm sure after a while and he started to get out there and he started to interact with people, you know, that opened up different ideas of what he can and can't do. And I think that's just our, you know, I mean, generally speaking, that's our goal and that's what we're trying to do and um, help parents. It kind of starts with them. Obviously, it starts with supporting them with understanding, you know, why they need to do these things and why it's important for them, because, all these years, they've been taught a lot of different things. They've been told from this specialist and that specialist. They mm-hmm. need routine. They can't, you know, they struggle with this. They struggle with that, and a lot of people not speaking about where their their strengths are and building off of it. That. Um, so that's kind of where we we kind of take a little different approach and um, try to help push push that way.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's an important part to to really hone in on this. You know, this idea of a strength-based perspective uh, encompasses all, right? And it's this idea that, you know, we do have we do have certain strengths. And if we can really focus in on that, no matter what you've been diagnosed as, you know, again, no matter what your your identity is, we all have a strength and we all have something to offer this world. And it, for all of us, again, it has to be nurtured, right? It has to be nurtured ideally from a younger age so then when we get to the point of, adulthood that you know we're comfortable in you know in truly trying to understand our purpose and that's no different that's that's no different with a a a child who's been diagnosed with with being autistic they still have a purpose they still have a uh uh they still have the right to live a healthful a, a healthy fruitful and productive life whatever that look that might look like for them they have the the right to be able to enjoy life to the best of their capabilities, right? So, so yeah, so that's so critical. I, I do want to get into to the idea of just some statistics regarding autism. Now I was reading that, that boys, and this being a men's wellness podcast, that yeah. boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls. Yeah. Have you found that in your, yeah. in your research and just in your work in general?
1: No, definitely. I, um, was actually, um, cause now outside, of, and I didn't say this earlier, but, um, you know, co-founder of can also, um, I oversee services for adults with autism in Chester County for adult okay. community program. Um, <laughs> we have about 50 participants in our program and I would say maybe 40 of them are males. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge gap um i don't and i I try to stick to my strengths when it comes to understanding like certain pieces of that, so I haven't okay. like gone too in depth about why that is, but it is a it's a big difference when uh um, males and females i think um yeah it is it's that that gap is is there, and I'm not really a hundred percent sure why that is honestly. Okay, okay,
0: and so you know what I was reading what I was able to pull up was that and and again, I'm not you know I don't want to make it like I'm some scientific guy, but right. one of the reasons was that it's harder to to see in girls right with boys earlier on in life, it's easy to see, and again, I don't know you know relatively how truth that you know truthful those these statements are, but they're saying that it's harder to to see in girls and easier in boys, and I wonder what um it what factors go into that, yeah. And then it also talks about that it could be potentially being overlooked, right. right? It could be being overlooked in in girls. It might be being identified as as something completely different. I, I'm trying to think of diagnoses that I'm familiar with that that mm-hmm. may be, you know, um, you know, white that might parallel with regards to symptoms. Right. Um, it, I do remember working a case where you know, when I was in the hospital, you know, a young lady, she had, she was initially diagnosed earlier on as borderline personality disorder. And then later on, she was diagnosed as as being autistic. So, you know, I'm sure um, she's probably not the only one, right? And I'm sure just regardless of gender, that that this happens. So yeah, I, I mean, again, it's, maybe it's sort of like understanding why sickle cell is so prevalent in African-Americans as opposed right. to any other ethnicity. And that could very well, that could very well be the case. Uh, so, so what has your experience been with the, with the men who are autistic?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's interesting. You know, you, you run across, you come across, um, you come across different situations. Um, obviously people have different spectrum disorders. So everyone has, different strengths and different areas in which they need to work on so they can um be as independent as possible but um you kind of see some individuals who you see some individuals who come in and you could tell over the years due to whatever reason whether it was a lack of supports or services or um their family's inability to be educated on the topic um and and knowing where to go to get the support that they need um or uh, someone has really strong advocates. Um, So they come in with different skill sets, just like, I guess you could say, just like anybody else. Um, But you see some of the same limitations. So I've worked with adults. I've worked with kids. um, And you kind of can see some of the same similarities um, when you talk about developmentally. Uh, Autism is a developmental disorder. So a lot of guys, you know, I may work with that's in their 20s, developmentally, they may be in their mid to late teens, and they're coming Mm -hmm. up on a lot of different things that, you know, we would have went through when we were in high school, the puberty stages and um, coming in touch with their sexuality and um, trying to figure out what they like, what they don't like. Um, So when you're working with those individuals where, you know, it's a lot of work from that perspective, then you have some individuals, they were diagnosed late in their 30s and 40s, um, so they're coming with a wholly, totally different perspective on, you know, their life before they were, they had a yeah. diagnosis and all after. Um, so obviously in them situations, you kind of attacking it a little bit differently and trying to support them a little differently. I have a guy, um, he, when his whole life, he just felt like he was different. Um, he went, um, he went through high school. His dad was a barber and he became, um, got his license to become a barber. Um, but he didn't want to cut hair. He just did it because his dad was open to it and wanted him to do it. Um, after a while, he's working kind of odd jobs, going to community college and trying to figure out. But over, he never had real friendships, no real friendships. He had people he had a claim of, um, acquaintances and stuff like that, but no real friendships. And then I think around his early 20s, he got the diagnosis. And it kind of opened up his eyes a little bit more once he did some research as to what autism was. Um, and why he struggled with um, meeting people and actually interacting with people and making friends and being like his brother and sister who had families and all of that. So we kind of we kind of started there, and then <laughs> he had just like any just like us family situations came up. His father passed away and left him a barbershop. So now you're talking about a grown man who. Oh wow is lacking some, um, you know, pretty significant communication and social skills and has a lot of anxiety as well. Um, and he's thrown this big business and he's in there cutting hair and trying to run the shop. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot for him. Um, so trying to support him and meet him where he is and slowly but surely kind of build up his success with, um uh, meeting new people, understanding some of the different social norms that go on in you know society today. Um, understanding you know how to communicate in a barbershop, which we know is a whole totally different language. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's for sure. different for him. So, it's it it's a lot. It's really interesting. I enjoy it. Um, you see, you know, unfortunately, you see some people who um haven't they could be a lot further if they would have got support earlier, but at that point it is what it is. So you're trying to meet them where they're at and try to build, help build as much as you can. Okay. Okay.
0: So, and I, I mean, there's two questions that, that come from that. So I'm gonna go with the first one. So I know you said you work with, you know, about 40 out of the 50 are, you know, are men. What percentage mm-hmm. of that would you say are, uh, you know, people of color? Whew.
1: Probably less than five, I would say. Wow. Um, It's a real small percentage um, of African-Americans. And I've seen that. That's not even just what I'm doing now, working with adults, but even um, working in schools with kids. And that's definitely a question that kind of comes up from time to time. You kind of wonder why. And I'm pretty sure I have some ideas as to why, when you think about... (laughs) So what's some of the ideas? some of the like family structures and just obviously growing up in the African-American household and you think about, um, the stigma related to, um, getting a diagnosis like that and being different. Um, I talked to, you know, now that I'm doing this type of work or been doing this type of work, I get more and more questions from family members. Like, Hey, do you think, you know, I've been, the teacher was saying this, but I just ignored it. Cause you know, I don't want them to be labeled and I don't want this, but do you think maybe yeah. this and you get those type of had those type of conversations where, you know, and I'm I'm guessing if those such those same conversations are happening with Caucasian families, I'm I'm pretty sure it goes a lot differently. They're going right in and they're trying to get the They're trying to figure it out pretty quickly so that they can get the services and support that they need a lot faster. Um, yeah. And that's 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 been a big thing. I know for sure, you know, you can be diagnosed as early as eighteen months, um eighteen to twenty-four months. Um, an individual with autism I think I'm pretty sure, and I don't know, I had a statistic in front of me, but most African Americans on average, it's like two years after that, um like four or five years old when they're getting the diagnosis because I think for some of the reasons that I just said, people don't want labels, um, they're scared of labels and not, which I understand. Um, but I think it's a little different when it comes to autism. Um, I think when it comes to autism, if you don't have that diagnosis, if you really kind of starting behind the, the starting line, you're starting, you're starting a lot, a lot further behind. Um, and you're going in a struggle to catch up. And that's unfortunate because those services can start that early intervention can start as early as three years old. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: and so uh, and so when you know again in in preparation for this, I was looking up just why when it when it comes to, to African Americans, and this actually stems from a few years ago, and I I think I have reached out to you, um I think we might have had a, a a brief discussion on it. You know, I had a, I had was given a client, and he was about seven years of age, and he had from from the first my first time meeting him, he had all the 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 telltale symptoms—the one that we most know, like be it, like perseverating on a task for right. you know for hours on end. His grandmother she would buy buttons and he would just put buttons together literally for for multiple hours. He had communication issues. He had um, he had social deficits, social skill deficits, and so like from that first moment, I knew something. He had some type of developmental delay. Now, he was diagnosed with, and, and this is one of the you know one of the things that that comes up when we're talking about uh, especially African American families and their their interaction with healthcare providers. He was diagnosed with having uh, depression, I believe depression, anxiety, and oppositional defiant disorder, mm-hmm. and nothing spoke to the behaviors that I saw from the first moment that I met him. And if right. anybody. Uh, if anybody, you know, was paying attention uh, as far as professionals, then they would see that as well. So he had a psychiatrist who, who was prescribing a medication. He had the, the agency that I worked for. And the grandmother, she was on top of it. She would do everything that they said, right? But even But even with that, you know, we're talking about, you know, the mistrust that exists, the misdiagnosis right. that exists. You know, we're often – uh, diagnosed later on in life, as we talked about the stigma, the idea of of denial. But I, I think – and so then with, with with that client, I have made a referral on three separate occasions to, to Children's Hospital, yeah. right? Three separate occasions. They never contacted her. They never contacted her. They would say – and we recognize that it's a few-month process, but they never contacted her, and we actually called and – Again, somebody will get in contact with you. And so we actually started to look up, um, you know, advocacy lawyers for right. the family in order to advocate on their behalf. Because, you know, I'm limited in what I can do, truly. Right. But, you know, I can see how black children in particular, and it happen to be black boys, aren't diagnosed. Yeah. Right? They're, or they're misdiagnosed. They're giving something completely different. They're giving yeah. conduct. they're giving conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder instead of depression instead of anxiety, so go ahead, I'll let you speak to that
1: no, no, i I totally agree I think um the barriers it takes and you know the work that it takes to even get um, to get a to get the evaluation for autism some places can be um, over a year and that's on average um that's how long it's taken so you think about the average in the average black mom, single black mom who's run into a situation like this um and they're trying to work with in the school and work with the people that they think are the professionals that you know can support their son or daughter in that type of situation um and the the work that goes into that and people got to go to work people got uh yeah. different different things that's going on think about how i grew up there's no way my mom would have had enough time to be able to get me to all the specialists and be on these waiting lists, get on these waiting lists, know which waiting list to be on. Um, and to be, to be able to get me the support that I would have needed if I was in that situation. I think um, it's definitely not enough places out here to be able to do that. I know a lot of, I think CHOP is one of them that's moving towards where they're trying to do more education within a community because Evaluate um a diagnosis for autism is an evaluation there's no blood test or anything like that yeah um a lot of it is uh looking at the developmental milestones if you're meeting those if you take your son or daughter to your pediatrician and they're asking where is he doing this and he's doing that that's a part of that testing um and then also looking for those warning signs and so they're trying to educate a little bit more around that, but that outreach isn't there um and you could talk yeah. to any Um, family that's out here, they don't know that. I know that because I'm in this field and I've been to conferences and different things like that to see like, oh, they're trying to educate people so that they can kind of get a head start on it. But there's no outreach for that. Um, And I I think that's definitely um, where people struggle at. And like I said, if you grew up like me or you um, in the situations that we did with our moms, I'm pretty sure we're going to be a behind as well um in that situation yeah
0: yeah no I, com- I i completely agree and it it can be frustrating again i you know when we talk about this i can only imagine you know in the grandmother i'm talking about she now her husband actually just died um uh, probably earlier this year so here she is as a grandmother raising two children one you know his younger sister who has uh behavioral issues or, or on, on a physical side. Um, and so, and with him, you know, with these delays, and again, she's still trying to do the best that she can. And so right. it, it does become frustrating and I could understand it if she just gives up, right. right. If she loses, right. if you become hopeless in these situations, if you're, if you're given a, okay, we'll follow up with you within six to nine months. Especially in the in the era that we live in now, where you know, and, and this isn't to to make light of this situation by any means, but people are saying Kawhi Leonard is taking too long at picking his team for mm-hmm. the next where he's going to be for the next five years, and it's been four days, right? right? So right. I so I can only imagine if we're talking about six months a year that you have to wait to get this appointment, it's just like forget it, right? right. It's it's forget it. But, you know, right. and that's why it's important for for organizations like yours to exist because it can help potentially facilitate that process or just offer that that encouragement, offer resources, whether it's, right. you know, skills, skills building and just empowerment services. Because, again, that's part of it as well, those empowerment services to help, you know, to help families continue on till they, they truly get there the help that they need from the, from the quote unquote professionals, even when, you know, the, and I don't want, I don't want to shame the professionals, right. Because they, they're overwhelmed as well right. w- with, with what's happening and the lack of resources and what have you doing the best that they can. So it's just a, it's just systemic. That's what we talk about systemic barriers that it's exist definitely. to, to, to hinder people from getting the services that they need.
1: Right. So to, know- to shift. Oh, go ahead. No, I was saying and then what's the cycle? You know, what does that turn into? You know, you get depending on, you know, what their skill level is, you get someone that's no different than um a typical kid who was passed through but couldn't learn how to read. Um, they get passed through, then next thing you know, they're out of high school and then they don't have the skills to be able to be self sufficient. That same thing happens to the individual with autism cognitively and um uh, from when you talk about everyday activities of daily living skills, and next thing you know, you have twenty five, twenty six years old that don't not even use the toilet. And so, what type of quality of life are they to have in them type of situations? You know, yeah. What's what's the you know what's the life expectancy? They end up getting drugged up, put into some type of community group home for somebody making nine dollars an hour. And how much support are they going to get in that situation? I I think um. And that you see that same kind of story. And then, like I said, you know, working with adults, I see all types of um, I see both ends of the spectrum when it comes to that. Not all of spectrum, but when it comes to the people who had support and had different services to the ones who didn't. And, you know, they're almost basically starting from scratch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's. You know, but that's why we continue to, to just again try to make people aware and continue doing the, you know, the great community efforts, the grassroots efforts, the, the stuff that don't get publicized, right? Because that's where the impact truly happens. And so my next question was going to be with regards to some of the myths. So we're not going to spend too much time on it, but I think you hit on one of the myths, uh, earlier and I don't know if it was intentional, but the idea that, you know, somebody with autism can't thrive in the business arena, right? Here we have, or or have a job uh, that's not your uh, bagging up groceries. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but right. here you can have uh, uh, somebody that's autistic. Because a lot of times when we think of autism, we think about the extreme aspect of autism, right? right? So, you know, somebody, like you said, the gentleman having a barbershop, being a barber, now he might have some some issues in trying to navigate that whole process, but look here he is he 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 has something that 's his own, and that 's a strength and he has a skill that he 's sharing with the world so what are some other some other myths
1: yeah i mean said? that's that 's definitely one big one that you know people with autism either have some type of intellectual disability or they can 't you know function in society they can 't live on their own um all individuals with autism have some type of uh um, um, yeah I would say intellectual disability that 's probably one of the biggest ones that I feel like I run into um and I think that also the myth about the spectrum i think that's a big one that um people don't seem to catch um I think people use typically think about the spectrum as being something that's linear when it's more that's it's more circular um there's no like that high function and low function and autism, I think um is a definitely a big misconception. I think if you look at it from a circular perspective, you can have someone who maybe have uh, really strong communication skills, but um sensory wise they have a lot of sensory uh regulation issues um You can have someone that has no communication skills. But um, when you talk uh, when you talk about intellectually and you talk about um, activities of daily they living, they're holding they're holding down a job, a car, um, and they're functioning in society no different than anybody else. But when it comes to but they maybe even nonverbal or have limited verbal skills. So I think that's a big misconception when people think about autism is that you're either on one end and one end or you're on the other. When mm-hmm. that that's not really it. It's 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 more of You have some deficits in whether it's communication or socialization and kind of fall in between that. Um, You may have some sensory regulations um, concerns, um, some coping skill like deficits, but it's not one end or the other. It's it's, um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I feel like people people struggle to understand They kind of just look at it as, oh, you're either on this end or you're on that end or maybe you're in the middle. And that's not the case. So it's so. And
0: what I hear is that they're human. It's things that they might be good at, and, and they might have Correct. strengths in this area. But in other areas, they might have quote unquote deficits or uh, areas where improvement is needed. Correct. If, if indeed that's possible, right? right? And so that's no different than us. Exactly. Right? So, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So so just a, a few more questions you know one related to autism um so self care how how important is that with somebody
1: who who lives with autism um i think that i I think it kind of comes back to the, you know, the point you just made It's no different than you or I. Um, yeah, I will say in the program I work with with adults, maybe 70 percent have a comorbid diagnosis with whatever is um, anxiety, depression. Um, some have like intellectual disabilities and autism, but um, self-care is big. Um, I think helping people develop coping skills um, and be able to help them function in society is really important. When you think about unless we can talk about some of our more high verbal, um, highly skilled individuals that's on the spectrum, they're going to work every single day. um, And they may have this shirt and they they may have some sensory issues and um, this shirt that they have on, they have a dress code at work and they're trying to work through that every single day. And we may not even be able to see that and understand that, um, that they're dealing with not just, you know, the, Requirements at that job, but they're dealing with some internal issues um, that are um, giving them issues that giving them concerns from a sensory regulation standpoint um, that they're trying to work through as well. So self care is really important. We we try to support the individuals in trying to identify and what works for them, no different than anybody else. Um, Finding out ways to take breaks, trying to find out um, ways to step out for a second. Stuff that's not going to be stigmatizing to you know, someone else that's going to see you, one of your coworkers or anybody else. Like, shoot, if you need to step out and go to the bathroom, throw some water on your face so you can uh, get yourself better, um, ready to go back in, go do that. If you need to go take a lunch break, put your put your headphones on, listen to some music for a little bit and come back in there, do what you got to do. Um, I th- I think whether that's working out, we have some guys that are really into stuff like Muay Thai and um um. Different physical combat type of things. That's self care for them. It really just yeah. depends, and it's really no different from any typical individual. Um, they're just trying. They they're trying to figure out different things that's going to help them um, stay focused, um, have the same uh, and have the same opportunities as you and I. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. It actually answered my, my last question. So listen, listen. I appreciate having
0: you on. So now we're gonna get into the aspect of this this softball game that's coming up.
1: Oh man!
0: So so let people know about the about the softball game and how they could join team qualify. I actually found some ringers too. Oh, you found some ringers? ringers? Yeah, I, I, I did. I found some ringers. Their softball tournaments. Their softball league starts at the end of August. So there was like they could potentially use this as a warm up. And so it's an organization that my, you know, a friend of mine, Jamie, who I met with on Tuesday, his organization is looking to to really do more community work. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I say community work, you know, as 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 was said to me, that there's again that that idea of you need to work with people. Right, in order to, right. If you are coming from a particular background and your exposure to to black folk might be minimal or uh, other people of color might be minimal or dealing with somebody who might have some developmental disabilities might be minimal. The best way to do it is in arenas where you get to truly interact. And so uh, so I haven't finalized it yet, but, you know, they may be, you know, participating in the in the softball tournament. But go ahead. I'll let you talk about what's coming up.
1: Yeah, no, the more the merrier. I think, um, I think and that was kind of the purpose behind this. This would be our third year doing a softball fundraiser. We try to do at least two fundraisers a year. Um, for this nonprofit, you know, being a nonprofit, we work off of donations and that's what helps to provide the activities that we do for the community. All of our events are always either free or really low cost for the families that come is that's for all our families, um, regardless of if you have kids on the spectrum or not, you know, we want to make sure that these events are, there's not a lot of barriers for you to come to these type of events and, softball or baseball, I guess you could say, being a love of mine, I think, you know, I wanted to kind of join forces with that and try to um, find a way for us to be able to raise money and have fun and do something that's healthy um, um, for everyone. And so this is our third year. (laughs) I'm excited that uh, Phil and Qualify, they wanted to put a team together to go against us. The first two years, we kind of mixed it up and kind of did it within our own team um, but this year is really cool and I think it's really cool that you had that conversation with the gentleman about their program because that's what, really what it's all about, um, giving opportunities for people to put out their mission and their focus so that more people can benefit from the great services that we have. And um, so July 20th will be our third annual softball game, Team Can versus Team Qualify. Um, you can get um if you want to donate, we have three different levels of donations. All-star donors. It's a forty dollar donation. Um within that you get obviously a shirt for the game. Um, you get a water so you're not dehydrated during the game because it can get hot out there. Um you also will have um some food, hot dogs, snacks. And then we're also wanna we wanna try to promote people through, you know, using our uh using our um program, wherever social media or our website to promote what you do. Cause we want to highlight donors. Like people don't have to, you know, people work hard. They don't have to donate money to things for other yeah. people. And, but we want to, if, if you're going to do that, we want to try to promote you as much as possible. So, um, that, that comes with the $40, um, donation and you get to play in the game obviously. Um, then there's a $35 donation that comes with, a. Uh, um food, the game, um, your t shirt as well. Um and then there's a thirty dollar we call a rookie donation, which we still appreciate. So don't feel bad if we just put rookie on there we're trying to make it fit within the uh the dynamics of the game with the rookie all-star veteran. But if that's all you got to donate, we really appreciate it regardless. I don't care if you got five dollars, one dollar, it's gonna go towards a good cause so that we can have these free events for the kids in the community, families in the community. Um so you can go on Eventbrite, you could do that. You can um hit up PayPal. I know Phil has a PayPal, we have a PayPal, um and if you got Cash App, same thing. So what's the what's the eventbrite?
0: Uh, what can they look up on Eventbrite?
1: Look up Community Autism Network softball game, thirty-year softball game. You searching that? You should be able to find us. Um, obviously, Philadelphia. If you need to get really in depth with the search, but it should come right up if you look for Community Autism Network softball game on Eventbrite. Okay, and that's also
0: that's also in my link tree in my bio. So if you just right. if you just click the link tree in my bio, there's a direct link.
1: Um, to that. Okay. Um, anything
0: else? How can they get in contact
1: with you? Um, definitely, uh, on here, social media, Instagram, follow community autism network. Um, Mr. Can Philly is my personal one Um Facebook. Same thing. Community autism network. Um, also before, uh, I go, I want to promote September 14th is our third annual community fair. Phil came out last year and volunteered and helped out. It was a great event. We have a lot of different things, and that's kind of what—that's what, that's what um, the majority of what these um, these proceeds are going towards um, for Can is going towards this community fair. Um, we have a lot of different things for the community. We have resources um, for kids that are in a spectrum families that's trying to get more information. We have um, providers out there for that. And then we have a lot of fun stuff. We have different field games. We have um, moon bounces. We have um, a mobile petting zoo. We have a video game trailers. Um, we have an indoor piece where we're doing Um, We have sensory room where you can do a lot of sensory integration things inside. So it's an indoor outdoor event at the new covenant campus on Germantown Avenue across the street from the uh, trolley, uh, the trolley um, breakfast spot. Um, But that's our that's the majority of our events occur on the new covenant campus. Um, They're one of our partners and they help us out a lot with providing these type of community events that are free and or very low cost. Okay. All right. Well, listen,
0: man, I appreciate having you on here today. It's it's July 4th. It's always interesting about black folk celebrate July 4th. (laughs) You know, I think it's starting to change a little bit, Uh, but, but, uh, but no, you know, it's, it's a, even if you don't celebrate July 4th, it's a, it's a beautiful time to just interact with, with people that you care about. That's how I look at a lot of these holidays that have questionable Questionable roots. It's just opportunities to be able to convene with one another and just you know share love and, and spread love. So as always, you can you can reach me on Instagram and Twitter at phil underscore quantify on facebook.com dot com slash philipmsw. That's philip with two L's. On Monday, I'll be having my my. How to Find a Therapist webinar, you can click the link in my Instagram bio, and it'll take you right there. That's at 7 o'clock on July 8th. Feel free to visit the website, www.quadifyllc.net. Thank you, Kia. I appreciate you.